What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn, and grow. Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. I am beaming with joy and excitement and out of breath as you'll hear in the beginning of this episode as well because of excitement and also because we are recording this in November and apparently that's the stage of pregnancy that I'm in. But anyways, I am solo today. This is Jenna of happystronghealthy.rd and I had the opportunity to interview someone super special to me today. I interviewed Lauren Smith, who is a registered dietitian and the lead RD at Happy Strong Healthy. I started my private practice a couple of years ago at this point, And about a year ago, year and a half ago, I started talking to my business coach at the time about expanding my practice. And he said, you know, you should do it. You should do it. And I pushed so hard against it because I really just wasn't sure how to do so and all the things without giving so many details away. Um, and I was scared. And as I started interviewing people and putting the feelers out there, when I found Lauren, when Lauren and I found each other, I should say, and we inter and I interviewed her, she knocked it out of the park in a way that I can't even describe to you. And now when people ask me, like, you know, how do you feel about expanding your team and what, you know, any issues, blah, blah, blah. And I said, the only issue that I've, I've had is that I didn't do this sooner because Lauren has completely changed my life and our practice and has added so much to HSH that I'm just eternally grateful and I'm so excited to share her with you guys today. When you do listen to this, I think I will be close to maternity leave when we do have this slated to air. If not already on maternity leave, whatever that means as an entrepreneur, we're going to figure out. Stay tuned. I'm going to do an episode on it. Uh, but that being said, Lauren will be still accepting new clients one-on-one -on -one in group and there's a link in her bio to learn more information about her nutrition services. So I want to put that out there now because I hope you fall in love with her the way that I have after listening to this episode. In this episode, we touch on Lauren's unique experience as a dietitian. As a dietitian in the field for a couple of years now, Lauren's experience is very different than mine. And she's worked in some really incredible different areas of the field, including eating disorders, right out of college, outpatient eating disorder clinic. In addition to currently, she works part-time in the hospital covering an addiction recovery and eating disorder clinic. And in this episode, what I really wanted to bring her on here for was to talk about that connection. It's super appropriate for the rebranding that Sam and I are currently doing right now. Again, this is November. Um, and the connection between these two things 
is enormous. And it is so fascinating to hear her experience. And one of the things that really she touches on a lot is the difference between eating disorders and disordered eating and the connection between addiction and recovery. In addition to that, we, we touched a ton on self-isolation during recovery and disorders and disordered eating. And that's something that we've not talked about on this podcast yet, but it is fascinating how that plays a role into these experiences. The other piece of this episode that I'm super excited to share with you guys comes towards the end, um, but we talk about the wins of the food freedom journey. And in this episode, I call it the finding food freedom journey and then realized and laughed that that's Sammy's Instagram name and it's fucking amazing. So Sam, you win there. It's amazing. The greatest nutrition practice name because on this journey to food freedom, you're continuously finding wins when you allow yourself to celebrate them. And Lauren celebrates a win at the end that is something that she could have never predicted being a win when she came out of her own disordered past and took on this future of recovery and food freedom and creating this journey for herself and continuing to be a student of herself while she guides other people as well through their own journeys. But being able to celebrate her win today was also really incredible. And it's something that we're dietitians, but we're humans as well. And what I always say is that the reason that I personally connect to so many people that I work with, and I know Lauren the same, and I know Sammy the same, is because we were our clients. And whatever you're feeling, you're not alone. Whatever you're feeling, we've felt. Whatever you're doing, we've probably done. I've never counted a macro, but that's pretty much it. I've done everything else. Um, and that's something that is, I want to help you feel more confident in. Um, but yeah, I don't want to keep blabbing about this episode. I want you to listen and enjoy it. And again, the it was just super special for me to be able to share Lauren with you guys. She is amazing. Make sure you give her a follow at Lauren's Balanced Bites on Instagram. Again, this is Jenna. Please make sure you're following me at happystronghealthy.rd and find food.freedom, the greatest Instagram name ever, is Sammy and her team of dietitians as well. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. If you are following us, please make sure to like, subscribe, share, comment, all the things. We appreciate you so freaking much and enjoy. Welcome back, everybody. This is Jenna riding solo today without Sammy, who we miss very, very much. But I'm really excited. I'm like almost out of breath. At this point, we're recording. I'm almost 30 weeks pregnant. I've been told this is normal. So if you hear me gasping for air, it's because of that, but also from excitement because I have a very special guest here today. I have Miss Lauren Smith, registered dietitian and lead dietitian at Happy Strong Healthy, who this is your first podcast, right? Yes, this is my first ever podcast. I'm so excited. And so we get to have her for the inaugural podcast. And she is near and dear to my heart because we're about to be celebrating our one year together. And by the time this launches, it will be her one year of seeing clients. And I'm just going to brag for you for a second because I said this out loud the other day to somebody, but you started seeing clients in January and you still have about five clients from January that are still with you today in almost December, it's November, uh, almost December, but it's almost been a year when we sign people on 
there is a three to five month minimum commitment. And these clients have been with you for 11 months. And that's a really big deal. And when I said to someone the other day, when I was talking about this, I was like, it's not necessarily because of goals being unmet. It's because Lauren does such a great job of challenging them and helping them realize new goals within their goals. And the support that she provides is just second to none. And that speaks so much about the person that you are and what you do in nutrition. And we have so many fun things to cover today. But before I blast, let me breathe and you introduce anything that I've missed. Tell everybody more about you. Um, so like Jenna said, my name is Lauren and I met Jenna like a year ago, not even in person. I followed her on Instagram. Tell um, why we didn't meet in person. Yeah. Oh, so I was going to meet Jenna, um, for all of you who are familiar with Fancy, it's the food and nutrition conference that like dietitians or nutrition professionals go to. So I was going to like introduce myself to her there, even though I like didn't know if I had the job yet. Like we hadn't had the interview. Um, and I had seen her on social media and I like knew where she was. And then like, I turned back around and I was like, wait, where is she? Like, where did she go? And she got sick. So I didn't even get to meet her before we interviewed. Yeah. She was, she had, was super sick, had like the flu. So I didn't even get to meet her until after she hired me, but I literally met her through social media, which is so, so crazy. Um, cause you know, social media can be a bad thing sometimes, but it was been really wonderful for this. So I can't believe it's been one whole year, honestly, like pandemic, pregnancy, like so much is going on. <laughs> it's been a godsend to have you right now. But, <laughs> um, but when I met you, Lauren, through what I tell everybody as well, when I met you through our interview, I've, like I've always said, there was just this energy and this chemistry and your background too in nutrition just spoke for itself. And so for anybody that doesn't follow her, we're going to pump out her Instagram name now at Lawrence Bounds Bites. Make sure that you do because there's so much information on that page that is so incredible. And if you could tell everybody what you do besides working with HSH, I would love them to kind of hear that first so we can really set the stage of where we're going with this episode because we have a very specific and interesting topic to cover that I think is something that we really haven't touched on at all in this podcast. Um, that's a lot more prevalent than anybody would think. Yeah. Yeah. So right now, obviously I'm part-time with Happy Strong Healthy, but then three days a week I work clinically. Um, and I was hired for like a suburban hospital system. I'm in Pennsylvania. So it's um, in the suburbs, like outside of Philly that I work for, but it's a hospital system. And I wasn't hired for like the typical clinical position, which I was really looking for. So <laughs> I was, I was really happy with that because I, you know, if any of you are RD to B's and you're going through your internship, um, I, I, it's not like I disliked clinical, but it, it wasn't like exactly what I wanted. I wanted something a little different that still made me think clinically. So anyway, I did find that, which I feel very lucky, but I got hired for being um, the dietitian for an alcohol and addiction recovery center. So I do that. And I also cover one floor that's a part of the hospital, but it's not like the same as a regular hospital floor. It's called um, the TCC. So it's the transitional care center, but the majority of why I was hired was for the alcohol and the addiction um, center because of my experience before, like right when I came out as a dietitian, I worked with eating disorders and they were looking for someone to hire who had eating disorder experience for this alcohol and addiction center, which I didn't even realize, but now being in this setting, like I feel so, so grateful that I had eating disorder experience going into it because that's 
primarily what I do there is work with people who have histories of eating disorders and are also struggling with substance abuse or alcohol abuse. So this is going to be our topic today, and we're going to dive into the connection between eating disorders and alcohol or addiction recovery. And so I think this is really appropriate timing. We are recording this in November, and at this point, we it won't be shared until 2021, most likely. But at this point, we have discussed very vocally that we are rebranding and Lauren was a really big help to me in like the understanding of this connection as well and you know we had received a lot of feedback from a lot of people about the connection between people who suffer with disordered eating habits and pasts and alcohol and again it just really makes our rebranding so much more impactful and again I'm just going to apologize on behalf of Sam and I for you know not looking at that angle before naming this podcast. Um, but before we dive into the heavy stuff, because Lauren's a dietitian and a foodie, I have five, four really just important this or that questions that I need answered <laughs> because of the food aspect. So I'm just going to get into it. Runny yolk or hard boiled egg? Um, Probably right now, hard-boiled egg, but I totally used to be a runny yolk person, but I, I go through phases, so right now, hard-boiled egg. I literally cannot stomach a hard-boiled egg yolk. <laughs> I like the white <laughs> But, okay, soft, excuse me, soft shell or hard shell taco? This is not a new one, but I need to know. Soft shell, 100%. I agree with that. Cake or frosting? So, like, if you had the cupcake, do you go for, obviously, we eat the whole thing, but is your preference the cake or the frosting? It's funny that I literally just had a birthday party this weekend and I always go for the piece that has less icing. Like I know some kids like want like the rose. I want the cake part. Like I like icing, but not like a whole like chunk of it in my mouth. Definitely more, more cake. It's all going to be a question that we ask from now on because I couldn't be on the other side more. <laughs> all frosting. Oh, oh my gosh. No, no, no. <laughs> Peppermint mocha or pumpkin spice? Pumpkin spice. I could do it all year round. And then crunchy or smooth bean butter? Crunchy, 100%. And he's not here, we can celebrate that one. I know. <laughs> so, I think that every time I listen, I'm like, what are they going to say? <laughs> well, we had Brie on recently, and you guys will have heard that episode already by this point. And she told us that she switched sides. And oh my gosh. Like, I'm so sorry that I ever hated on crunchy. She's like, this is to show you that preferences can change, which oh, good. is true. Um, but so I know that you just did a really awesome article and presentation for your medical staff at the hospital, which is also amazing. Dietitians speak and educate doctors on nutrition topics, which is important for everybody to know here. But what is some of the information that you can share with us about this topic and something that we can really kind of help people see the connection on the extreme level, but also, you know, what I kind of think we can probably get into today is really, again, relationship with alcohol and food and how mm -hmm. it impacts our lives in so many different ways. Um, so I don't want to take any time away from you and I want to hear your experience and the topic and anything that you want to share. Yeah. So again, I feel really, really lucky because I did not know like a whole ton about this until I was hired, which was almost a year and a half ago now, like at this position. So now I feel really, really comfortable, um, you know, with what I'm doing and I understand it even more. But 
what I feel like the medical staff didn't understand was that there is a difference between eating disorders and disordered eating, but they're both very, very important. So almost every single person who walks through um, my facility has had some struggle with disordered eating. They may not have been diagnosed with an eating disorder, but they absolutely have struggled with food in their own type of way. And um, what I think the psychiatrists and the doctors or the nurse practitioner in this scenario at this facility um, does, didn't really understand is like the fragility like of the situation and how one word or one counselor saying some sort of um, word of like, oh, focus on your fitness or focus on your food. And, you know, if you're, you know, trying to get healthier, like let's really like go gung ho kind of thing about your food and your fitness and how that can trigger them um, into a downward spiral with eating. So what I did with the presentation was really just bring awareness to how prevalent it is. And I've shared this with you, Jenna, before, but like according, if you go onto Nita's website, like nearly 50% of individuals with an eating disorder are also abusing drugs and or alcohol. So that means, you know, 50% of the people who come into my facility that I'm working at have had a struggle with eating. And um, more times than not, when I'm meeting with them one-on-one, -on -one, it's really interesting, but they'll, they'll share with me if they're comfortable. Like a lot of times they'll say like, food is my main problem, you know, but I'm not ready to address it. So I'm here for my other problem. And obviously they're both problems that, you know, they, they want to work on, but it's almost like they're not ready yet. So I kind of help them figure out where to go next kind of thing. But the biggest thing that medical pro um, professionals need is awareness as to how prevalent it is in this population and how, you know, your language is really, really important. So I took some notes while you were talking because that to me is like the biggest thing. And I think that when we talk about addiction, right? Addiction can be food, it can be substances, it can be fitness. And in the world that we live in right now, it's very hard for people to see the difference between what we talk about a lot, movement versus fitness, right? And how to have a relationship with both of those things. Now, with that said, when we think about food and nutrition and healthcare and recovery too, what you said right there was words matter, right? And when somebody goes in to get help, it's very interesting. What I heard you said is that words that are said during those conversations can trigger somebody even more. So when you speak with somebody about this topic and you kind of uncover, you know, where, what they're here for, but what's underneath that, do they ever share with you, you know, that it's something a personal trainer or a nutrition coach or somebody that has said that has really like stuck with them and has kind of moved their addiction from one thing to the next? Yeah, um, that's a really good question. It's it's normally something in their childhood, mm. to be honest, that they carry with them for a lot of their life. So it's not always something like a major event, whether it's their parents or their family members. Um, it's something that someone has said to them about losing weight. So it's not even like a trainer. It's definitely just family and normal scenarios. Um, and, it, and it runs in the family too a lot of times because I see their intake forms and their family history and a lot of eating disorder history, you know, maybe their parent had it or their uncle and then same with um, substance abuse or alcohol abuse. So 
I would say it, it really comes stems from home. That's huge. And I always like to say when we speak with clients, like words have to be very intentional for a reason because it's actually a great question and something I think that we should do from now on with clients is maybe talking to clients about what are their trigger words, right? Or what is a trigger scenario or something that has, you know, triggered a response in a client or in their life to kind of head into an unhealthy relationship with whatever the substance or thing is. Um, in your experience, do you find that the eating disorder comes first or second? I definitely would say first. Wow. Okay. I really would. Because like I said, a lot of them come in and they say like, this was my problem. Um, but before that, it's not even like eating disorder creates addiction. It's really their mental health, which if you do any sort of research, it's your mental health. Like you've had some sort of trauma or, you know, again, mental health is a disease. So if, if you're not trying to address your mental health and it can get, you can, it can turn into other problems kind of thing. So, um, but more times than not, when I, when I ask them about it, they are scared about the food. Like they're not ready for it yet. And then they've ended up having this other problem that's happened because of all of these traumas or, um, things that have happened in their life that now they're here and they're ready to address this problem, but they're so scared that once this is addressed, they're going to try to really like their eating disorder is going to kind of like take back over and be a huge problem for them again too. So it is, it's a big struggle between, you know, being at a facility that is primarily for alcohol and substance abuse, but also realizing, which I really have been trying with the staff, like for them to realize like this other problem, even though it's not the primary reason they're here, it's a huge part of their recovery and taking care of themselves. So we have to make sure that we set them up with like services for when they leave to do an IOP or um, work with like a therapist who has dual um, like addiction and eating disorder experience so that they're getting exactly what they need because you don't want to leave that one hanging because it's not just going to go away. This is so, first of all, it makes me so happy that you're there because how many recovery type centers are, they don't have a dietitian on staff, right? So many, like, so many. So the people in this facility are already so lucky to be there and it's a testament to the work that you're doing and how much you're researching it too. So if you have a doctor that's like, okay, I hear you. Lauren Smith dietitian, but <laughs> what am I supposed to do to change like my words? I mean, listen, bedside manner is a big deal. <laughs> um, and maybe this doctor or person or healthcare professional doesn't necessarily know what's hurting somebody or what to do, but is there anything that you tell the staff? Like this, yeah. we don't talk about, especially knowing our diet culture right now, right? Knowing that, yeah, everywhere and knowing that it's in healthcare as well and human beings have their own internal biases. Um, where do you start talking to people yeah. who don't really know anything about it? <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. When I came into this position, I was like, oh my gosh, we have a lot of work to do because, and again, it's nothing against the staff, but like the psychiatrist, for instance, had had anyone who was screened who had a history of an eating disorder isolate at meals and sit alone at the nursing table. And, you know, with the experience I had prior to this job with eating disorders, isolation is the last thing you want for someone who's doing something traumatic. Like what, what the psychiatrist didn't realize is like eating in general is traumatic and then isolating them so that like we can observe everything that they're eating is not helping them. It's stressing them out and they can't even like 
feel normalized in in that facility and you know they were they would come to me and they'd be like well people are asking why i'm not you know eating with everyone else and why i'm you know have to sit at the nursing station but so the first thing i did was cannot isolate these people but we can help with beginning steps so it's pretty interesting with my first consult with a lot of these eating disorder people i think um, especially people who suffer with like binge eating disorder, they think I'm going to like come in and be like, you need to eat healthier and here's what you're doing wrong. But it's literally, we don't even talk about that. I just ask them how they're feeling and how they were eating before they came in. And then I help give them really like solid beginning steps of what they can do while they're here because it is like institutionalized food. So I help them, you know, with what they can do when they're there. Um, and then I give them resources for what they can do when they leave. But the first thing I did was take away that like criteria of isolating the patients with eating disorders and putting them at tables by themselves because that was definitely not helping anyone. That is so smart and incredible. And honestly, it sounds to me like intuitive eating, the intuitive eating principles really line up very well with a recovery plan for these patients. And so Again, like I'm, I feel like I keep going back to the same thing, but I think it's so important to to continue to put this out there that it is such a blessing that Lauren is being consulted in a facility like this, and it's not the norm because if a percentage, I don't want to toss a percentage out there, but if a percentage of dietitians still don't know what intuitive eating is, do we think that? doctors and psychiatrists for the most part for like the large you know the large group of them have any idea what intuitive eating principles really are they probably don't but it sounds to me like implementing intuitive eating strategies and the 10 principles is actually exactly what these people need um is that mm-hmm. something that's ever discussed with your yeah staff? and it's Talk yes about- and it's actually so and un- It's so unfortunate because right before COVID started, like I haven't even been going to the facility. It's all been telehealth over Zoom. Mm -hmm. But right before the pandemic hit, I was going to start to run a group, like a small group with everyone who came in who had screened for an eating disorder so that I could like, you know, go through education and intuitive eating. And I was really looking forward to it. Um, but that totally got put on pause because of COVID because I can't even be there and I, I don't want to start that out like virtually. So we'll see what happens, but that would be my goal to do an intuitive eating like group with the people who come in with eating disorder screening. That is amazing and would be like groundbreaking for, for this world. Like no one's doing that to my knowledge. If someone else is doing that, I don't mean to offend. Um, this is the first time that I've heard that and I think that that's incredible. Um, But I think that what I really want to get at is what Lauren said in the beginning is that it's eating disorders and disordered eating patterns. So it's important that we call attention for all of our listeners and, you know, people who know other people who have suffered with fitness addiction, nutrition, food, wellness addiction, um, you know, clean eating addiction, we could call it, right? Um, substance abuse, so on and so forth, that it, it, there is a connection. I think you said there's 50% of a connection Mm -hmm. that you jump from addiction to addiction if you don't address the problem, right? And for a lot of what we're learning right now is the trauma starts 
at a young age and it gets buried and then it gets covered in one type of addiction and then it seems to jump as as a trend not for everybody i'm not generalizing but for the topic that we're discussing and the patients that you do see it seems to be that type of trend and so if you're listening right now and you feel like this is something that you need more information on or what type of resources would you recommend um probably nita for sure is the and then disorder association yes national <laughs> eating disorder association that website is amazing it answers so many of your questions um, for eating disorders and disordered eating and like what are the signs and all of that and then another website I just stumbled upon is um, the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration. So um, I get a lot of my information there too for like statistics for like eating disorders and substance abuse and alcohol use disorder. Um, so that's a really that's a really good resource. And then RecoveryFirst.org is a really good resource. So if um, I mean we could probably link those. In like yeah. The show notes. We, um, but those are great. <laughs> um, so that was, I mean, a pretty heavy topic and something that is, it's just important to call attention to. Now, I want to switch gears quickly and I want people to learn more about you and your story with nutrition. I should have done this first and I didn't. So sorry. <laughs> um, I'm alone today. <laughs> And I, um, I, this is like one of my first solo interviews, but I want to learn more about you and why maybe if there was a connection in your own personal experience that really made it so that eating disorders and this recovery type nutrition is something that you are so passionate about because anytime we have somebody that comes to HSH and I pre-screen them, if, even if, you know, I had spaces available. If they trigger me for any type of eating disorder recovery um, or addiction, I push only for Lauren. And it's because of your experience in this field. Um, and I'm just curious if there is something in your past, in your history that has really made a strong connection for you, something with a close friend or family member, or anything that you know our listeners would really take away something from. Yeah. Um, so I definitely did not think I would be in this space. I feel like, I don't know if you can remember, Jenna, like going through school and your internship, like all of my professors, almost all of them, I don't want to say all of them, but almost all of my professors and preceptors were like, eating disorders are so hard. Eating disorders are so hard. That's such a hard space to be in. So being me, like a little like dietetic student, I was like, oh my gosh, well, this sounds really hard. You know, like everyone's saying this is really, really hard. And, you know, no one was saying like, this is amazing. This is such a great field to be in. So we need you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, I did not think I would be here because again, I was told it was really, really hard. Um, and everyone who talked about it sounded like it was super, super stressful. But I couldn't say more of the opposite. Like, I'm so happy that my, like, path got me here. So I guess answering your question, like, I wasn't even going to do nutrition. Um, when I was in high school, I actually applied for athletic training. I was always an athlete. Played soccer, like, my whole life growing up. I loved nutrition after an injury. I kind of got really into it um, to, like, recover faster. And it, it did take an extreme for sure in high school, but I still, you know, I liked nutrition, but I still was like athletics, athletics, athletics. I was going to do um, athletic training, did it for a full year. 
And then I transferred to University of Delaware because I was like, wait, I don't like athletic training. I don't want to do this. Like, I don't want to travel with the team. Like, this is, this is not what I want to do. Like, what do I really love? So I went back to nutrition and like, I kind of just said, like it, I took it to an extreme in high school. So going into it, that sophomore year of college, I wanted to know how to be the healthiest person. You know, very similar to a lot of dietitians, I wanted to know how to be the healthiest person. And I, I definitely did not think at the time that I had any sort of like disordered eating. Um, but I also didn't know what I know now, which is a lot of it, you know, can go with exercise, which I absolutely can say I struggled with like for a while. You know, being an athlete, I, I wanted to be the best athlete. And it's one of those like perfectionist things that I think a lot of us have that trait. So I got into it so um, started to like open my eyes that what I thought was healthy for me with food and exercise was actually taken to the point of being unhealthy mm. for me. And that was, that was a really long transition. So like, I could probably talk about that for a long time, but I won't, but um, yeah. for anyone who you know, <laughs> maybe struggled with yeah, like it, it, it takes a long time. So I would say for the bulk of my college career, like even freshman year before I transferred to Delaware for nutrition, like I didn't go to the dining hall. Like I, I went to a university, I went to Westchester University my freshman year and my mom dropped me off dinner. Like I was terrified of not knowing, you know, but I still, I ate, like I didn't think I had a problem, you know, like I, I really didn't understand. So I just was trying to be like health dining hall to me like wasn't healthy at that time um which like looking at those experiences um I started to really learn and I was learning things that I didn't think I would learn about like I was learning that carbohydrates are good for you and that you know you need to fuel your fitness and you know you need to eat like regular size breakfast lunch and dinner and not small breakfast, small lunch, large dinner, like I was doing. Um, so throughout college, I started to like, quote unquote, like repair my relationship and a internship, had an amazing handle on my relationship with food and exercise. And it wasn't until I graduated my internship and I was actually hired um, right out of my internship. So with my internship, then um, I I definitely started to learn more, I would say. Um, and right after my internship, I actually got hired to be a partial hospitalization dietitian for an eating disorder facility. I had no eating disorder experience in my internship or in my undergrad. So I was like, why are these people hiring me? But again, <laughs> I like hadn't made money now for like years. So I was like, I got to take whatever job I can get. And I actually wanted to share this with you. But when I was getting hired for that eating disorder job, the interview was very interesting. It was a small little program, um, which I learned so much from. I'm so grateful for it. But the, the manager was like, are you comfortable eating with the clients? And I was like, yeah, like, of course, like, I'm so excited to meet the clients. Um, and she was like, good, because so many dietitians that we've hired won't eat with the clients. And I was like, what? Like, I, I didn't really understand that question until I started the job. Because in that job, I had to make the menus. So partial hospitalization is literally like the whole day. 
So I would go in, I would have breakfast, make breakfast with them, eat breakfast with them, run a group, and then make lunch with them, eat lunch with them, and then I would leave. Um, and I had to make menus that were challenging for them, you know? And in turn, like, it's crazy for me to even say this because it wasn't that long ago, but like some of those meals were challenging for me. Mm. And it really made me like look at myself and I was like, I had conversations with my mom and with my friends and I was like, I don't know why this is hard for me. Like, this is, this is hard. And it, I mean, it didn't like, I, I still think, I mean, I hope I did a good job. I still think I did a good job. Like I didn't let that show, but I, it really made me look at myself and I was like, wow, like I had no idea how much I needed this job to learn, but also for myself to grow. Um, so I was there for almost like seven months. And that seven months, I can't like not say enough about it. I grew so much as a dietitian and so much as a person with actually understanding like what food freedom is and like really what intuitive eating is. And like I said, I thought I had it all figured out, but it's not until you're kind of through my job, like I had to make challenging meals that now I wouldn't even like bat an eye at you know, so, so that got me to where I am today. So I, since I had that eating disorder experience, I got this hospital job and then I followed you on Instagram and I saw your philosophy and it's like all the stars align. We grew together though. And I think that that's something you had a really couple great touch points that I will call back on in a second, but you know, we really did grow together in this intuitive eating journey. And I think that it just, again, Sam and I talk about this constantly on this podcast that we bring in guests and people who have evolved. And I think it's irresponsible as nutrition professionals and health professionals to not evolve with the fields, right? And on a scientific level and the scale of sciences, like I always tell people, nutrition is a baby science. It's been around a long time, but not as long as many other sciences are concerned, right? And we really have dove deep into it in very recent years and the science is evolving and mm -hmm. changing and the science right now with the studies that Evelyn Triboli and Elise Resch are spearheading and providing for us I mean it's getting louder and more available to learn more about this intuitive eating journey and when we started this podcast Sam and I that's when my intuitive eating journey really began my nutrition philosophy and understanding was always more of like the balanced perspective. And I was never, I've, I've never tracked a single macro. I've done everything, mm -hmm. but I never really understood macros. So <laughs> I never tracked them uh, or taught anybody to do so. But, you know, it was really, again, my practice skill. I always like to say, I used to be a diet culture dietitian. I was making my transition when you came in, but it really wasn't until this podcast became like I, I was, we were interviewing these people in the field that, you know, I, it hit me like, I need to stop doing harm. And you and I have really grown together where you've done a great job of even fact checking me and being like, Ooh, this handout needs to change. Like it's still diet culture, Jenna. It's still happy, slim, healthy. Like <laughs> so it's a really special thing that we've been able to do together. But I want to call out three really important things that you've said, besides the fact that you have been able to evolve, change and grow within the field even in your shorter amount of time being in the field, you've recognized the need to change um, and where this field is going, I think is incredible. And it puts you ahead of so many new RDs out there, just like in that recognition phase. Um, but one of like the main things that you said between all of these places that you've worked and what you've seen, what the number one thing is self-isolation. 
And so that came up quite a bit in the stories that you've shared. And so what I want to bring attention to our listeners too is eating is not meant to be an experience that you have alone. Like when we talk about food satisfaction and we talk about enjoying your food and holidays and family functions and things coming up, it brings up a lot of fear for people because of what you mentioned is that when people isolate and eat alone, they feel safe. And so one of the first things that you have called out to the doctors in the trans, in the unit that you're in now is having them eat with people and having people eat with other people and being exposed to that. And even as a dietitian, you know, sometimes we don't want to eat with other people when we're disordered ourselves because people make comments, right? And so I remember, you know, the exact same when I worked for ShopRite, I never, we catered lunches every Friday and I never touched it. I was in charge of the menu. I always brought my own food. And like looking back now, sure, it was a preference. It was, I liked my food. If that was the truth, fine. That was not the fucking truth. Like (laughs) of eating the food that came from the catering department, right? So Mm -hmm. if anybody here is listening to this and is like, you know, having these emotions around that, something we would tell our clients is start by journaling about it and like seeing why are you afraid of the cafeteria food? Like, well, why was 19 year old Lauren afraid of the dining hall? Right. Like if you went back to that Lauren, why was she afraid of the dining hall? I, so like you said, I never did macros. I didn't even like really count (laughs) calories. I, I got obsessed with like clean eating. Like when I got that injury in high school and you, re- if you Google like nutrition diet or like nutritious diet, like it's like fruits, vegetables, like know this, 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 and this. So like I, you know, like took that literally and I just was like, okay, I need to know everything that I'm having and I'm going to pick like, everything's going to be whole grains and blah, 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 blah. And like, <laughs> yeah. So, so I did that for years, like junior year of high school, senior year of high school, freshman year of college. I tried, but I also, I didn't intentionally try to underfuel, but with limiting myself so much, I was underfueling and my anxiety was the worst it had ever been, which led also to self, more self-isolation. So it was like, I didn't even know I was in this cycle. Cause I was like, I'm being healthy. And you know, you guys have talked about this before in the podcast, but people would say to me like, Oh, like, you know, I wish I could have your willpower or I wish I could eat, order the salmon salad, you know, when we're out at the bar pub food place. And I like was really like fed by that. So I continued to do that. And it wasn't until I transferred, learned more and also was like, wait, I like want to have fun in college. Like, what am I doing? Like, I want to have fun, you know, like I want to go out with my friends. So um, I feel so grateful for the friends that I had in college because it was like, they were so great that I was like, I'm not missing out anymore. And I started to grow and I also became a better soccer player in college because of it. Cause I was like fueled. Performance. So, eating performance. performance. <laughs> yes. I had no idea, but um, yeah, it's, it's been such a crazy thing to look back on, but I'm, that's why I'm so grateful for that initial eating disorder job. So for anyone out there, don't feel like you need to have experience to go into any sort of field because I learned so much, not even about the field, but about myself. And like, I truly believe that that happened for a reason because I needed it too. 
It's incredible. And I talk about this with clients. I don't think I've ever mentioned it on the podcast before, but during quarantine, we, Matt and I watched all of the down to earth Zac Efron series. And my favorite episode was, and I'm not recommending this show for any of its nutritional recommendations. (laughs) uh, My favorite episode is the one where they're in the blue zone in Italy and they interview this older man who's in his hundreds. Um, And one of the things that he said was his key to longevity, because in the blue zones, if you're not familiar with it, it's like these populations or these cities across the the world where the population in this one city or area um, zone has like the highest percentage of people over a hundred years old. And so they interviewed this man and he talked about, you know, one of the main things was having purpose, having purpose in your life, um, not being your diet. You know, your purpose is not to lose weight and be on a diet that he didn't say that, but that's what I heard. Um, And (laughs) the other thing that he mentioned that was huge was family meals. And he he didn't say anything about carbs. He didn't say anything about macros. He didn't say anything about colorful foods, which, you know, colorful foods are important. But he said eating with your family, having family meals, having these moments of eating together and what joy that brings, brings life to your life. And I think that that's such like a a misguided piece of the conversation because it's so powerful and it's so real. Um, that's really something that you've hit on in such a great way in this episode and something that we can all really evaluate on. I know we get busy and sometimes eating alone is fine, but it's also something to challenge yourself on, you know, especially right now we're recording as the holidays are coming up you guys will be listening as the holidays close, you know, how were they for you? Right. And how was eating in a group of people? And if that brought something up for you after listening to this episode, you know, definitely worth going back and looking at deeper. The other thing that, um, the other two things that I think that you made such an incredible job of pointing out is that disordered eating and eating disorders are not the same, but they're both problematic and you can get treated for both right? Mm -hmm. And so seeking help, if you're having these feelings or thoughts that don't feel right and are taking up so much brain space, or if you're like, I can't eat that, it has a gum in it. I had someone tell me that once and I was like, what is gum? Like, please explain it to me. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Anyways, um, you know, if that's you knowing that the stress that you're putting on yourself about the ingredients in your foods is actually harming your health potentially yeah. more. Um, yeah. So that there is treatment and there are resources available for both mm-hmm. um, dietitians, find food freedom and their dietitians and happy, strong, healthy, and us are here for you. Um, in addition to there's plenty of dietitians and through insurance and so on and so forth. But the last thing that you said that ties into this as well, that I just think is so important to continue to like hone in on is if you are feeling uncomfortable, if you've taken a long time, if you recognize that you couldn't see the disorder when you were in it, but there's still like shreds of it, you know, knowing that recovery takes time, but you don't have to do it alone because resources are available. Mm-hmm. Nobody is meant to get through this journey by themselves. Um, I think you nailed that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I so badly wish like looking back that I had heard like your podcast, honestly, like back then, because I would have never, like I said, you know, you can be so like, (laughs) you can be so in your own bubble 
and you know think that you're doing all the right things but kind of like in my core like I was like I'm so anxious like I don't know what's going on um and then you know once you're exposed and you learn it's like this whole beautiful side to life <laughs> yeah to life that you're like you know now I don't even sweat I, I literally just said this to a client today but I was like I went out to eat like my boyfriend got a job offer yesterday so we went out to eat <laughs> and we got drinks and like it was a Monday night and like old Lauren on a Monday night like a restaurant and drinks like that would have thrown me into like an anxiety like of what am I going to do this weekend because I had drinks and you know dinner out on a Monday so you know it's it's pretty cool to to be in this moment. And like, literally I enjoyed it so much. Like I didn't think twice about it. And that's what I want for every single person really. I love that so much. That is such an incredible way to close this because again, we tell people often, there's no really like end point with finding food freedom. Sammy has the best name. Um, but <laughs> end point with that journey, because these little wins are not things that we say on call number one with a client, like your goal at, to end it is to celebrate with your significant other when they get a job and not stress it. Like, no, that's a byproduct of the work that comes. Right. And like, that's a byproduct of unlearning and relearning and connecting to the moments. And, you know, something that I've talked about often on here is when I was really in my disordered days, I might've physically been places, but mentally I was not. And mm -hmm. I missed out on a lot of life because of that. For what? Right? Like for what? Yeah. I used to joke, like it's for a photo shoot and then what? But like, seriously though, like then what? Like, so the reality is, and I'm not poking fun at people that, you know, that are in that right now or having these emotions or feelings, but I, I am trying to say that you're not alone in the way that you're feeling and the goals and the, the milestones that come just like continue to come and surprise you. And so congratulations to you on everything that you have already accomplished. Lauren works I'm going to recap for her one-on-one <laughs> and group coaching at HSH, also in an addiction and eating disorder recovery center, in addition to the hospital, um, we're covering different floors of that same hospital, I think is mm -hmm. the correct term, um, yeah. and is an absolutely incredible Instagram sensation in addition to chef inspiring me with her meals as well. So please tell everybody where they can find you um, and anything else that you want to share before we close out today. So everyone can just find me on my Instagram, which is at Lauren's Balance Bites. Um, that's really all I have. I mean, I tried to do TikTok. I'm still on TikTok. So if you want to follow that's me. The one that you've done. <laughs> if you want to follow me on TikTok, um, I will try to check it more often. But Instagram... <laughs> Would, would definitely be the best place to find me. And I just want to say thank you um, for everything, for the podcast, for the job, for everything that you guys do for everyone. I couldn't be more grateful to be a part of it. We thank you. And everybody listening, click the link in her bio if you want to work with her, um, which you should after this episode and apply and just join us. Join this beautiful beautiful journey of food freedom. Lauren, thank you for being here. And I will, I'm sure talk to you soon. Yes. <laughs> 
Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at what the actual fork pod we promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics greatest guests and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit we love you we appreciate you and we will see you next week for a lot more fun